welcome to A Smarter You, a University of Lynchburg podcast where ideas come together in new ways. I'm your host, Hannah Bellacci, and today we're talking about one of pop culture's favorite bad guys. He's called himself the Clown Prince of Crime, the Harlequin of Hate. In his movie coming out October 4th, his name is Arthur Fleck, but you know him better as the Joker. That's right, Batman's arch enemy is getting his own solo film. Directed by Todd Phillips and starring Joaquin Phoenix, this film serves as yet another origin story for the Joker. We're joined by two University of Lynchburg professors who have a lot to say about this character. We have communication studies professor and pop culture expert, Dr. Mike Robinson. Hi, Hannah. And criminology professor, Dr. Ken Wagner. Hi, Hannah. And we will be discussing the connection between the villains we watch on our screens and read in comics and real-life criminals. First of all, I'd like each of you to tell me, what makes you interested in the Joker? Do you want to take that one first? Oh, yeah, I I get that first. Oh, my gosh. Well, um, the Joker is quintessentially one of the greatest villains that there's ever been. So, you know, if if you're like me and you've grown up reading comics your whole life, 46 years now uh, out of 51 years um, <laughs> of, of reading comics, uh, that that's, uh, that's big enough on its own. Along with Marvel's Doctor Doom, he's sort of the penultimate bad guy. Um, so in and of itself, that's fascinating. His longevity and his uh, animity to the Batman um, is is worth looking at in general. Yeah, I don't think it's a coincidence that the first motion picture about a superhero bad guy would be about the Joker. I think his popularity among superhero bad guys is kind of unrivaled. I know that um, I have a test in my house. Uh, my wife, who's not as interested in superheroes and comic books <laughs> as I am. Unfortunate. And then her parents are even less so interested. And so we say... Uh, if a character is somebody that her parents would recognize, that I would recognize, she would recognize, and my young daughter would recognize, then they really have achieved true popularity. <laughs> and the Joker is one of the few characters that I think that her parents and my daughter would know who he is. And he's full of such interesting contrast in the sense that on the one level, uh, I mean, my daughter would know the Joker is kind of this funny clown character, somebody to laugh at as he tries to steal Batman's car or something of that nature, <laughs> the Batmobile. On the other hand, a lot of people know that he's treated in the comics. From day one, he was treated in the comics and still is today, and in many of the more recent movies, with kind of deadly seriousness. He's a very frightening uh, serial killer, uh, terrorist slash psychopath. So he's this, you know... Wonderful bunch of contrasts kind of folded into one. He's somebody that you that is both horrible and repellent, and then he makes a joke, uh, and he literally appears as a clown. So um, I, I think you know he, he's got so much to be interested in, and I, I, it's no coincidence to me that he's probably the most popular supervillain uh, in American culture. Yeah, that's um, to, to echo some of that. I remember watching Batman: The Dark Knight in 2008. Uh, sitting in a theater with my wife and with my daughter. And if you're familiar with the film, you may remember the moment where the Joker does a magic trick. He makes a pencil disappear, (laughs) right? right. (laughs) And he he makes it disappear by driving it through some guy's head. Mm -hmm. Um, And when that happened, the whole theater erupted into laughter, just erupted into Mm -hmm. laughter at this horrifying, horrifying event. And as I was sitting there laughing, I suddenly remembered, oh, I've got this young kid with me. (laughs) Like, I better better check and see how she... Did. And when I turned to look, she's laughing as much as I am and the mm-hmm. rest of us. And, I, and then I thought, oh, that's good. Well, wait, no, it's not. Like, <laughs> <laughs> what am I and, and that's what's really amazing about him. Because like you said, from the very moment, 
he has been the Joker has been hilarious and lethal, mm-hmm. and for some reason we love it. And he's been around for for seventy nine years. He appears in Batman number one. Uh, you know, Batman first appeared in Detective Comics twenty seven. So the next year he got his own comic. Um, oh. And the Joker. So the Joker's been around as long as Robin. Mm-hmm. He's been around as long as Catwoman, and he has put those years in. Right, he's, he's well past the retirement age, but he's put those years in um, to become this character that we expect to be there. Like if, if you do Batman and the Joker doesn't show up eventually, it's kind of like, what are you doing? Like, People do you know questions. Batman? <laughs> yeah. You did it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> and you guys actually wrote a, a paper together on the Joker. It's titled criminals are a superstitious and cowardly lot using the Batman's mythos and criminal justice and criminology classes. What drew you guys together to write academic paper on supervillains of all things? <laughs> well, you know, I think, Batman is one of these characters who has a really interesting what they call rogues gallery. A rogues gallery are the, the, the bad guys who keep perennially showing up. Um, and in criminology and in many social sciences, we deal with a uh, tool of analysis called a typology. Uh, and it is where people to better understand a type of uh, criminal or a type of thing. Uh, typologies are used outside of criminology in a lot of different social sciences. They imagine what we call an ideal type which is kind of an extreme or idealized version of something, which you can then go into the real world and take real-world examples of things, stand it up against that ideal type, and see how it measures up. So, for example, the first one of the first persons to use typology was a sociologist named Max Faber. And Max Faber, uh, he was the person who kind of coined the phrase and the study of bureaucracy. And so he would say a bureaucracy is any organization that has these features and has them in this extreme. Now, he would... He would point out there there was no actual real organization that would fit the bill 100% of his definition that he used. Um, but the, use, the, the usefulness of his concept was that you could take that ideal type out and you could take our university or another university and you could hold it up against that ideal and see how much it measures up. Um, well, if you look at Batman's villains, they are these kind of over-the-top idealized types from yeah. the get-go. Yeah, very um, stereotyped. Somebody like Firefly is like the ultimate arsonist. Uh, <laughs> you know, somebody like Joker might be, you know, the ultimate or, you know, uber kind of psychopath. Um, and so we, we said, look, these already kind of fit. Um, and one of the things that is a challenge for any college professor is to try to get students to listen to things that might be kind of dry at times. Um, one way we thought to kind of bridge that, um, uh, that, that gulf there between what's dry and what's interesting is to actually use pop culture that everyone is or lots of people are familiar with and more excited about. Um, we started thinking about writing something at the, at the time when movies like The Dark Knight were breaking all kinds right. of records and getting all kinds of critical acclaim. And we said, well, he's already got these villains that are walking, talking, ideal types. Uh, what if we thought about writing about how some of these villains could be definitely linked to or associated with specific typologies that are used in the field of criminology? And then maybe from that, encourage other professors to think about how they could invoke these villains' names and stories uh, in order to illustrate the types. Uh, it might be something that catches people's imagination and interest a little more. That was, I think, where we came from. Oh, definitely. Um, y- you know, we live in this sort of golden age of superheroes. Uh, mm-hmm. Superheroes have always been around uh, you know a lot of people started with superman in 1938 uh, superheroes have always been around but wow hannah has your generation <laughs> like oh, really yeah. a lot of superheroes <laughs> so really uh since about um 1992 uh 1993 batman the animated series came out mm-hmm. um 
there's always been Batman on television. Um, and really since about 2000 with the X-Men movie, the, the, the superhero movies have been sort of tearing up the market um, in, in film. So that now, you know, we have dozens of superhero movies. And, and, and as a kid who grew up as a, as a comic book fan, I never thought that that could ever possibly happen. Yeah, never. <laughs> um, so we, we also were looking at capturing that kind of excitement. We've had um, a, a, a really kind of amazing shift. You know, um, what was once outside the mainstream is in the mainstream. Um, you could well, say it dominates the mainstream. I mean, yeah, the exactly. number one That's film sure. now is, is Avengers Endgame. Right, I mean, exactly. If you looked yeah. at the top ten selling films, you'd find superhero films now almost dominate. All over them. And actually, back when we first started talking about this stuff, uh, The Dark Knight was like the number two or number three movie mm-hmm. of oh, all yeah. time. Um, the, I mean, the other thing, what drew us to do this, is this is what Ken and I do all the time. Um, <laughs> so we live in this interesting position of being both academics and fans, which I think is a really neat place to be because you have the academic interest in figuring out what the meanings are in these properties and why they're excited and why audiences are drawn to them. But you also have the kind of... Um, not not loyalty mm-hmm. uh, the way a fan would. I mean, you know, like excitement. Yeah, we're we're, we're loyal to it, but we're not loyal to it in the in the sense that we're going to ignore things. We're loyal to getting it right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like a fan, neither one of us can abide something that doesn't <laughs> fit. Yeah. You know, it doesn't make sense. We're not going to bend these things. Um, and right now, it's a really exciting time to be an academic and a fan, and to be taking concepts like this. But Honestly, we really had sat down and talked so much that it got to the point where it was like, maybe we should just write something down. We've, we've done a similar thing. We've, we've done some stuff on some CW shows uh, where, again, we were just talking so much that when this— We decided to just, why not write it down too? Yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> when, when, the, when the call for papers came up, we were able to do it. And that's one of the really exciting things about the sorts of things that we study, right? Um, popular culture criminology have a really powerful direct connection to people's lives mm-hmm. um, that— we find really fun to share and really fun to explore. Yeah, like I have to say that was the most interesting and for one thing like exciting paper I'd ever ri- <laughs> like read because it was academic and it was teaching me something about the psychology so to speak of criminals that I see in superhero movies, which is something I never thought I would ever read about in an academic sense. Um the villains I would be watching growing up fighting against uh, the superhero that I'm rooting for um actually take into account like what makes them who they are cuz I feel like uh, if you're not looking at it from an academic sense, you're just like, oh, they're the bad guy. We're not supposed to be in their favor. But you guys really took that to a whole other level. And I feel like that really encourages students to learn more about uh, criminology and pop culture in your respective fields. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, that was it, part of the goal. It, it's exciting. I mean, you know, one of, the, one of the really neat things about the Joker and one of the amazing things about this character that, that we were talking about earlier was this idea that he's horrible but he's also really interesting. Um, I was looking over some material in preparation for this, and I was looking at a at a forward that Mark Hamill wrote uh, uh, for a book about the Joker. Now, Mark Hamill, we you know we know Mark Hamill as Luke Skywalker, but Mark was also the amazing voice of the Joker on Batman the animated series, the voice that a lot of people consider to be the definitive voice of the Joker. When I read stuff that the Joker says in a comic, I hear Mark Hamill's voice. <laughs> and he, uh, Mark Hamill said uh, something to the effect of, well, the Joker's insane, but he's never boring. Mm-hmm. That's true. Um, and he gets into a place um, that's really interesting because of that. Um, you know, here, here's a guy who 
uh, I've asked students over the years, you know, when I've shown these in my in my intro to film class, um, why do we like this guy? Well, he he's funny. He's a free spirit. He does things that ordinary people don't do, you know, and, and that's true. But then you say, well, yeah, but he's murdering. Oh, yeah, yeah, right. But that's bad, Dr. Mike. But, you know, <laughs> it, it's still this sort of um, we're, we're always sort of fascinated with figures like this, uh, clowns, comedians, other kinds of types that can get into these spaces and play. You know, the scary thing is about the Joker is that eventually that play leads to murder. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's also what I think is interesting about the Joker, too, is in a genre of superheroes, which is not totally defined by people with amazing powers and abilities, but there's there's a lot of overlap there. He doesn't really have any powers or abilities that are that extraordinary. He's not super strong or super fast. He's not impervious to bullets. He can't lift cars over his head or shoot webs. Um, he's even, not really even a good fighter. He's not even really it. a good yeah, fighter. He, so he locks out a lot. With, you know, <laughs> one of the reasons why I think Batman has become so popular is that he is a prominent superhero who, in theory we could be. He's a human that has kind of trained himself to be the top human physical specimen that he can be. If we had a hundred million dollars. And, and time and could travel yeah. the world We're and just learn fortunate enough from to the have League of Shadows. Killed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but but he, he is just a person, you know, he's he's just he's just a human after all. Um, and even, but he's he's at least, he's a very well skilled human that few of us could probably hope to achieve. But the Joker's not even that. I mean, he, he's like you said, not usually depicted as a very skilled fighter. Um, he's not depicted as super smart. I mean, he, he but he's just cagey and resourceful and somehow becomes a villain that, you know, uh, can hold off somebody like Batman. And we aren't sure whether Batman can defeat him or not. And so that that's pretty fascinating. Every time, too. Mm-hmm. You know, the, no, the number of times that these two guys have fought is is probably at countless levels. I'm sure, I'm sure somebody somewhere has a Web page and it says every time. But you can't just name these things right off the top of your head. I mean, you know, there are there are. Dozens of really great fights. We could fill two hours just talking about Joker and Batman fights and Joker mm-hmm. and Batman contests. And then the Joker has been extrapolated out into other things, too. So for a long time, remember DC used to do, uh, DC Comics used to do this thing every year. It was called the Joker's Vacation. Do you remember this? I don't and remember he, this. You don't remember the Joker's Vacation? <laughs> and he would go and he would show up in somebody else's comics. It started with that uh, Burn oh, Superman wow. story. Remember the Burn Superman I do story? remember where, with, where Superman faced the Joker. Right. <laughs> the Joker just wow. goes to Metropolis and messes around with Superman. And at the very end of it, after Superman defeats him it's like why did you you know somebody says to the joker why did you come here and he's like why not right he was <laughs> now, bored and did yeah, it for yeah, why interest not? um so this is this is a guy who can can hold up just about everywhere um and that makes him kind of compelling uh, that makes him kind of interesting there's also this thing um that sometimes gets called the one bad day hypothesis um which is uh really a part of a lot of batman's villains uh and and is part of really I think most really great villains. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's this notion that uh, Batman's rogues gallery, um, they all have a sort of really terrible day. Um, uh, one of my favorite examples is this character from Batman the Animated Series called the Clock King. He's just a guy obsessed with time and clocks. Um, he was an efficiency expert in this telling of the story. He's an efficiency expert who one day is finally convinced to relax and go to the park. And when he relaxes and goes to the park, the wind comes up and blows away all of these papers that he needs to win this court case. And when he goes into court, he finds that the guy that told him to go relax is the guy that was prosecuting him. Mm-hmm. So all he did, he just had one bad day. Um, and we all have one bad day. Um, but then these characters react to them very... Um, Their bad day pushes them over the edge. Yeah, and they yeah. become the villains that we then see. Right. Uh-huh. They, they react in a way that is not 
acceptable. You know, they, they, they take it over the top. So we sympathize with them, but then they go f- too far. Mm-hmm. Now, the amazing thing about the Joker is that this is a character who has no definitive origin. Yeah. Um, and sometimes we'll have this aspect of, well, he had a bad day. Um, it, but what we often learn is that he's made the bad day up. Um, one of the things that is exceptionally, I find exceptionally terrifying about the character is that he's totally willing to embrace an origin, do horrible things, and then you find out he's just kind of playing along. There's a there's a great comic called Batman the Killing Joke from 1988. Mm-hmm. That's uh, Alan Moore and Brian Boland. And uh, the stuff that the Joker does in this is is, is pretty horrific. Um, he, he basically paralyzes Barbara Gordon in an attempt to drive Commissioner Gordon insane by giving him the one bad day. Um, and throughout this whole thing, he tells this very sympathetic story of a character who, um, you know, he, he was a failed comedian who has a pregnant wife um, and he's trying to make some money and some bad things happen and his wife dies in a freak accident and he gets caught up in this criminal enterprise and becomes the Joker. And you're reading the story and you're thinking, wow, this is really sad until he says... I don't even know if that really happened. <laughs> right. You know, his, his line is, if you're going to have a past, why not have it be multiple choice? Yeah. Uh, that's terrifying. Um, we're seeing some elements of that in the trailers that we've seen for this movie. We're, uh, we're not sure. We know, I, I've read in places that Killing Joke was probably an influence, but I don't know how much they're going to Right. Well, you see it. it in The Dark Knight, too. He tells several different origin stories at different times. You know, at one point he yeah. tells the story that... His, his that his wife got cut up because she had gambling debts. Remember, right. so he said he put the razors in his mouth. He, you know, he starts all the stories with you don't want to know how I got these scars, oh, yeah. and he tells a different version of it throughout, which shows that he has a very postmodern, I guess you'd say, attitude about truth. That it's you know whatever set of facts he kind of wants to present. Yeah. What I think will be very interesting about the movie coming out is though, it appears to be trying to tell kind of a gritty taxi driver esque origin story this time an actual definitive one right so i wonder if it'll have that kind of element of make you know a, a, a multiple choice pass and it'll probably try to provide some type of definitive origin for him or not and i think if they do it probably will be based in some part on the uh, kind of one bad day uh, killing joke thesis i would right think. i hope they don't give him a straight sympathetic origin um, because I'm very worried about the idea that we should feel sorry for this guy at all. Um, <laughs> it, 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 it worries me a little bit, and it, I think it diminishes his effectiveness as a character. Um, there's, there's a lot to be said. To, to feel sorry for Clock King is one thing, mm-hmm. um, uh, but I think it takes a, a, a certain kind of power out of the Joker mm-hmm. that, uh, that worries me a little bit. I don't, I don't want to feel like, like some of the trailers for Joker have shown him like, Oh, he's you know he's he's working as a sign guy outside of a shop, and he some kids steal the sign, and him. then they punch him. Yeah, um, you know, and oh, here's some alpha stockbroker jerks on the subway who beat him up, and I don't really want that to be the case. I don't want him to be <laughs> a guy who was just you know bullied so much that he fought back. Um, I want there to be a sense, and I've read some reviews that suggest this that he really was horrible from the outside, mm-hmm. um, and. I, 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 that is important to me as a fan. Other people may totally disagree. You know, it, do you think that's because you know, if you've read a lot of comics, you know that in comicdom they've reserved some of the most heinous acts in comic history for the Joker. I mean, right, he, he has exactly. done. At one point, he he. There have been. If you read comics, you'll know that there's more than one. Uh, there's been more than one Robin. Uh, you know, oh, yeah. To, no. As they get older, they stop being Robin. You get other Robins and. One of the Robins in one of the stories is is beat to death with a crowbar yes. by the Joker. Yeah, death in the family. <laughs> while he's tied up. Yeah. And uh, 
those are the kind of horrible acts. I mean, you know, basically all supervillains in comics are trying to do something bad, destroy the world, this or that. But it's often very abstract. And the acts that Joker has done in comics history, though, have usually often the most heinous kind of awful things have been reserved for him. And I wonder if that's why you don't want to hear anything sympathetic about him. You know, if you're a longtime comics fan like you are, you probably look and say, I don't want to have any sympathy for this guy. I've seen some of the awful things that this character does. I mean, I feel like personally in the movies that I have seen on uh, villains, like my my example, just because it is one somewhat with the recent times and I grew up with it is Disney's adaptation of Maleficent. Mm-hmm. So we grew up with her in the princess stories uh, as being like the whole source of evil. Mm-hmm. But in the Maleficent movie, she's uh, catered to as some sort of hero in the end. Mm-hmm. And she sa- actually saves her life. And I feel like that's kind of the case of what they're trying to do with the Joker, make it somewhat of an anti-hero, make right. somewhat of a Deadpool. But God forbid I emerge two worlds, Marvel and <laughs> yeah, DC, my okay, bad. But... <laughs> <laughs> But I just feel like they're trying to make us sympathetic and understanding of the Joker. But at the same time, I feel like that shouldn't diminish his madness or what we've seen in the past uh, couple movies that they've made. Right. What really worries me, that's a, that's a great point, Hannah. What really worries me is that if the Joker is picked on and he becomes this thing, what makes him different from Peter Parker? You know, what makes him different from Spider-Man is the difference just Aunt May, you know, like Aunt May and Uncle Ben. Um, and, and maybe that's important. Maybe that's significant. Um, you were mentioning uh, bad guys from other movies. We love bad guys. And oftentimes, particularly in Marvel, DC will do this too, but particularly in Marvel, Marvel will spin a villain into an anti-hero, probably the most prominent example of which is Loki. So, oh, yeah. you mm-hmm. know, go back and watch those. Uh, it, my son obsessively watches Marvel movies all weekend. If, you, if you're wondering <laughs> what he does, he obsessively watches Marvel movies all weekend. And we were watching the first Avengers movie the other day, and it was kind of like, Wow, you know Loki's not really a nice guy here. He's a very one-dimensional he, bad guy. Yeah, almost. he's a one-dimensional <laughs> straight-up bad guy who later in these series becomes kind of funny and potentially interesting. In the comics, they're flirting with this idea. He's I was reading a he's got his own comic now and he was asking Tony Stark like, "How can I be an Avenger?" You know, like mm-hmm. I feel like that yeah. also caters to his character though cuz uh Loki is the Norse god of mischief right. and like deception. So we don't know if his intentions are true to be helpful mm-hmm. to the Avengers, or we don't know yeah. if it's just like a, a, a true change of heart. Um, and I feel like that's something that we don't necessarily see with villains most of the time. Like that's that might be what they try, what they're trying to do with the Joker. Um, but sometimes it doesn't work if it doesn't fit the character trope. Yeah. Um, so my question for you guys is why the sudden interest of watching crime and especially like villainous backstories? Why do we all of a sudden need to know where the villains come from? You know, I, I was. I think that that uh, that's a good question, and I, I think actually though the answer is that it, it may not be as sudden of an interest as we might think. I, I, if you think about it, you can go all the way back to Shakespeare and some of his most famous, most interesting, most talked about plays. Our villain plays Macbeth is a story of how this fellow came to came to be a villain, um, a pretty horrible villain too. Richard the Third is is very similar. I'm not sure that it's a more that much of a recent thing. Uh, for whatever reason, we've all always been somewhat interested, um, maybe in a kind of twisted fashion, in people that do bad things. We, yeah. Why do they do it? And my particular take on it is that we want it to be explicable. We need to have some kind of explanation because then we don't have to go through life thinking that the world is just full of amoral forces and things that just happen uh, with no explanation, no maybe being able to make sense of. And so we do know that there's a world with bad people in it. When we watch idealized stories, uh, we're going to have to have bad guys, bad characters in it. 
And I think that instead of thinking that this we live in kind of this postmodern world with with no um, no moral force behind it, and some people just you know go and do bad things for no reason that we can understand, it makes us feel better to have people with a good explanation for why they do bad <laughs> That's things. Great. And so I think uh, this is why. Joker is such a terrifying figure in some sense because he does lie about his origin and often isn't given a real origin. And so we really would like for him to have one because it's unsettling to think of somebody would do these awful things uh, and not have a good reason, so to speak, if there ever could be a good reason for the awful things he does behind it. And so I do think that what we are looking for as far back as Shakespeare and now is what what happened? What creates these people that do these things? Um and with Joker, we're just as fascinated as we were with why Macbeth or why Richard III would do what they do. That's what's really fun about collaborating, um, because uh, Ken takes that answer and, and thinks about it in terms of criminology. Um, to me, the minute you asked it, m- my first thought was, oh, well, everybody has an origin story. Like mm-hmm. in popular culture, every superhero and every villain gets an origin story. You have to have an origin story. It's true. Um, almost everybody has one of those. The Joker didn't. And really doesn't. He's been largely a blank or a cipher. Um, and maybe that's one of the reasons, too, that I get nervous because I really don't want him to lose that special quality. I'm not one of those people that feels like we have to know right from the get go why certain characters behave the way that they behave. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that I really have always enjoyed about the Joker is that we, we're not really sure. So you can have the you can have the 1989 movie suggest that, oh, well, he's he was a gangster who was so sociopathic that this was just sort of a natural step for him, you know, that, that essentially he was Jack Nicholson and then he was more Jack Nicholson. <laughs> um, you know, sorry. And if Jack Nicholson, if you're listening, don't hurt me. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, that's that's a kind of interesting example. Um, you know, we were talking about the killing joke and the idea that he's tried to make himself feel sympathetic. There's a there's an old um, comic. The Joker was the, the first villain to ever get his own comic series. Uh, back in the 70s, he got his own comic series. That's right. And it's really funny to read it because the rules back then were that the villain had to be caught at the end. So he just gets out of jail every month at and runs around, yeah, runs around and does things. <laughs> this and in one of those issues, he creates this whole crazy story about being a failed artist. And then he, he says at the end, no, I just kind of made this up. You know, like, like this was something that I did. Um, I, I don't want him to lose... Uh, that very special quality. But the other thing that's interesting, and this was something we touched on a minute ago, uh, you were talking about uh, this idea of the Joker killing Jason Todd, beating him to death with a crowbar. Um, He's not technically the one who kills Jason Todd. That's true. Uh, The audience is. Uh, because that was a very famous vote. They oh, did a right. 1-900 the number. They did a 1-900 <laughs> number back when 1-900 numbers were just becoming popular. And they wrote that story such that Jason Todd could live or die. And a lot of fans hated Jason. And by a very small margin, an unbelievably small margin, enough people voted to say to Kellen, probably the writers and the artists. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> but yes. it's, uh, and that's sort of how that happened. So that's kind of interesting, too, that, it, that, it's, that it's often about what we want. Mm-hmm. And what we desire. Um, I, I'm always fascinated by the end of an adventure with the Joker, too, because the Joker always goes into Arkham Asylum, right? And Arkham Asylum is just sort of like this revolving <laughs> door. The yeah, worst like, security <laughs> of any institution. Yeah, you go in and you come out worse. Um, and it's really kind of terrible. And I always joke, like, why doesn't Bruce Wayne, like, if Bruce Wayne really wants to do something, he'll just cut a check <laughs> to fix that place. Renovate mm-hmm. it yeah, up. Yeah, right. Get it, you know, better security and all these other things. But that's the wild thing, too. We want the Joker to come back out. Mm-hmm. We want him to make it. Um, towards the end of Dark Knight, um, and it's kind of heartbreaking because 
you know, by the point you, you saw it, you knew that Heath Ledger had passed away. Mm-hmm. But he looks at Batman and he says something to the effect of, you know, I think we could do this again and again. Well, he said we're destined to do we're it. We're destined again. to do it again and again. <laughs> and I thought to myself at that moment, you know, every year I could go watch these two actors, particularly as good as Ledger was in that part. I could just watch them. Like if that's every movie, every Batman movie I see for the rest of the next 10, 20 years, I could do it. Um, so, you know, th- that idea, if he if he if he has an origin, then I worry that he's curable, maybe. Um, and I don't I don't want him to be cured, even though I should. I should be a nice person. <laughs> I mean, it plays along with that idea that you said about um, it's about what the audience wants. And even though they killed off Jason Dodd, he end up he ended up uh, becoming the Red Hood. Oh yeah. And so it could always drive another storyline, even if they do change the story a little bit, because mm-hmm. um, once you take away something, you have to add something to replace it. And I feel like that's what they're trying to do with the Joker movie, finally consolidate the origin story, maybe make us feel a little sympathetic, or it might be able to hype up the character of the Joker so that the next time we see him, uh, if it is the same character, uh, it's like, oh, we know where he came from, uh, we know what he's trying to do, um, and then just drag it on essentially for decades to come right because it will go on for decades to come right because uh batman and the joker are older than me it's older than everybody Mm -hmm. in this room (laughs) um and will probably be there uh long after we are gone um and so yeah that that's uh that's a really uh that's a really salient point so uh in your article you mentioned that psychopaths typically have a need for stimulation and possibly earlier behavioral problems and the joker commits crimes in this very open fashion so that batman can come and like play this kind of like tag you're it uh, kind of game that we're talking about that goes on forever so do you think that this is due to the fact that it's a twisted form of validation he seeks from batman in most of the incarnations, this is definitely part of the dynamic between Joker and Batman. And I guess it's best summed up in the movie The Dark Knight, where Batman says, why are you trying to kill me, to the Joker? And he says, kill you? He says, what would I do without you? And he says, uh, no, you you complete me. Yeah. That's the famous <laughs> and I can't think of any more of an affirmation that he's a source of validation for him yeah. than that. I mean, he... Uh, you know, Mike and I were talking the other day, and he mentioned that in al- almost all the classic Joker stories, Joker goes to do what he wants to do very publicly and r- and needs to let Batman know he wants Batman to be there. I mean, Batman has other villains like uh, the Riddler who will send him a clue uh, whenever he does a crime. He compulsively has to send Batman a clue. But you get the idea that the Riddler is doing that because he wants to match wits with Batman. So he wants to see. He thinks he's the smartest guy in the room, and he wants to see if there's anybody who can give him a challenge. So that's why he sends the clue. The Joker doesn't seem to have any need to make his crimes public to Batman, other than just because he wants Batman's attention. Right. Um, and so I, I do think there's some kind of desire for validation from Batman, and that's in a lot of different incarnations. Oh, it's been there from the very beginning. In his very first story, his very first murder, he announces on radio. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. um, and so you know that was that was 1940 radio radio is 20 years old at that point right and the Joker's right there you know and and he he uses a lot of mass media and public uh, situations to announce his presence uh, I love the the 1989 Batman movie where the Nicholson Joker comes around in the in the parade on the parade float yeah. and is just throwing money out. The parade, those, the commercials, uh, yeah. when he hijacks the stations <laughs> yeah. and does the com- – where he goes from show to show. Right. Yeah. It, but it's just – it's great. And all these people, like, come down. Like, they come downtown and, and they know they're going to die. Right. <laughs> but, they, but they come downtown to see this guy. Um, he's – I've always theorized – 
that that in some ways the Joker uh, gets at our insecurity about um, mass media and big public events, that they excite us, but they also scare us. That power kind of frightens us. But uh, yeah, that uh, those those are really, really fun aspects to the character. Um, there have, have been a number of instances where uh, the Joker has actively avoided learning who Batman really is. Like mm-hmm. he doesn't even seem to spoil really, the fun. Yeah, yeah, right. He doesn't seem to care that Bruce Wayne is Batman, and even in instances where he seems to know, it doesn't um, seem to matter very yeah. much to him. Um, recently, uh, last year, uh, Batman and Catwoman were supposed to get married, um, and the Joker is the one who really sort of messes it up. Um, and basically, the reason that he messes it up, he he convinces. Catwoman of his thinking, which is that if this guy is happy, he's not going to be Batman. And then further for the Joker, I need him to be Batman, yeah, so I can't have this. Yeah, I can't have this stop. You know, it's so like that's why I'm here. About Mary, the stepmom. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so that's really fun about him too. And there's there's a there's a lot of heroes and villains that are caught in that kind of dynamic. Um, but but many of them uh, would would be very very happy. Many villains would be very very happy. Doctor Doom will be very happy once he finally kills the Fantastic Four. It will make his day. He may not know what to do the next day, but he will sleep a lot easier <laughs> should he accomplish that mission. So, uh, in an article written by the Comic Book Resource, uh, the Joker is thought to be the third most destructive v- Batman villain, uh, being beaten only by Ra's Al Ghul and Deathstroke. And the reasoning for it is because the Joker has no plans and simply acts. Now, I know we were talking earlier about how um, whenever he's asked in the comics, like, why he does stuff, it's just sort of like, why not? Or he felt like it. So, But do you think that it's true that he really does have no plans? Or do you think there's a math to his madness? Well, can, I, can I ask one thing before we answer? Really seriously, Deathstroke was number two? <laughs> <laughs> what are they? Who, I don't even who truly think of that? it as yeah. a Batman See, here's, here's where, yeah, here's where we're going to be, the, the fans for a minute, here's where we're going to be nerds. Really? Seriously? Yeah. I, mean, I would. <laughs> I would not put Deathstroke as number two, right. but um, well, I, I think that you know, with I think it's best put that Joker has plans because you do see him in whatever incarnation. He's often one, two, three steps ahead of Batman, Commissioner Gordon, and everybody else. I mean, in the Dark Knight, there's that really elaborate scene where you finally think that Gordon and Batman and Dent have fooled the Joker, where they have Gordon. Uh, dress up as a um, just as like a, a, one of the drivers of the car that's making the um, transfer, and um, then you know the, the Joker is told to go after him. They provoke him into going after him, and they they seem to have caught him. Right. Yeah, but but it's all part of his plan so that he can destroy the police headquarters later. He's always a few steps ahead of him, but I think he doesn't have goals. So I do think <laughs> I do think that ar- I, th- I do think that article that you mentioned is onto something in that. Ra's al Ghul has plans and a goal. Most of the incarnations of Ra's al Ghul have him as some type of figure who thinks that he needs to separate the wheat from the chaff in humanity. If the, you know, often he's kind of depicted as kind of an eco-terrorist who right. thinks that there's too many people or that the resources are being used too much, and that the awful things that he wants to do are are part of some goal where he actually thinks of himself as the good guy, Ra's al Ghul. So he has plans and he has a goal. And what is at least somewhat kind of a, a little bit less unsettling about that is you can count on him, you can count on him not doing certain bad things that aren't connected to the goal because he's not doing bad for bad sake. 
Um, the Joker, I think, has plans, but he has no goal. I mean, so he a good example, again, in The Dark Knight, he has this elaborate plan to rob several banks uh, and then to have each person that's a co-conspirator kill the person before him. Yeah, the beautiful so th- opening for the movie, oh, the beautiful yeah. which the was, movie. The, was the trailer that they sold the movie on, basically. Right. Yeah. And then he gets all this money from it, and then at one point, just in a fit of whimsy, burns the money. Yeah, he yeah. just burns it up. <laughs> now, that to me is the epitome of Joker. Plans, but no goal. Uh, he doesn't seem to have much of an overall goal other than maybe impressing Batman or convincing Batman right. that, 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 that people are like him. And yeah. that's kind of a, current, a common theme with him, too. Because if you think about it, Batman and Joker both had one bad day. If you go back to the one bad day hypothesis, right. Batman lost everything that was important to him as a child when his parents were shot down in front of him. Um, but Batman takes one bad day and devotes it to being a hero. Joker takes one bad day and devotes it to being this villainous person. And for some reason, I think you're right, that he needs Batman's validation that he chose right and Batman didn't. It's super important to him for some reason, but that's the closest to a goal he seems to have. Yeah. So. He's, he's, it's like he's playing his own game. Uh, the, the other great line in The Dark Knight is he, he says, I'm just a dog chasing cars. Uh-huh. But he's not. That's <laughs> the funny thing. is he's, he's planned so much stuff out in the movie that he's, he's clearly not acting on, on whim, mm-hmm. but but whatever he's up to, it only matters to him. Um, Batman will talk about this a lot. You will you will always hear lines where it's like, well, he's got his own twisted goals. Uh, it only makes sense to him. He's only doing what he does, um, and that is kind of true. Um, so I, I like like it, that poll is kind of interesting to me because there, there's there's maybe I think there's other villains that I would put way higher than than Rachel Ghoul or Deathstroke as far as. <laughs> As well, as far as, as that destructiveness, goes, yeah, though, well, is what they were saying. Well, see, I put the Joker on the top. I mean, because Ra's yeah. al Ghul has this international organization behind yeah. him, and and he's kind of luck, he's kind of got commensurate resources to Batman, and so maybe more so, right? Yeah, but and so he 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 can do a lot more destruction on a wider scale, right. um, and and the fact that he plans so well and his schemes are so intricate, I I, I can see saying that he's more destructive. But he never but, does, though. That's the thing. <laughs> <laughs> see, he never he never he's he right. you know what what's what's one horrible thing. I, I, he didn't cause that earthquake, right, in in Gotham City. So it's it, you know what what has he ever gotten away with? Nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> if, if, you, if you're going to sit down and say, well, what's been destroyed? You know, he, the Joker's got that whole big pile of, of debris behind him. It's true. I, I love that scene where he blows the hospital up. Oh, in that's Dark Knight, the best. You know, where he's just yeah, he's just wandering out. Button doesn't work. Yeah, and there's, <laughs> no, there's no reason to do it. He's just doing it. Yeah, I feel like the that whole ranking thing just to give you some peace of mind yeah. like, uh, <laughs> i want to sleep yeah is that, <laughs> it, it's a matter of like your skill and mm-hmm. the planning because a death stroke is one of the most highly trained assassins right. like he could do so much damage he has yeah. the potential to do so much damage uh same with ras al ghul like he he's in a sense to say dc's counterpart to thanos like he thinks he's doing good right and he's doing it for the betterment of the people but he's destructive because it's the most it's the closest thing to reality that could actually happen um the joker is just sort of like he he is most destructive in the sense that the surroundings of gotham and everything buildings do go down um but he's just doing it to essentially push batman's buttons he has no goal but even though he has the plans it's like a kid doing homework but he's not really working towards a grade or anything he's just doing it to do it but why isn't he getting credit there's a justice league (laughs) unlimited episode where he tries to kill everybody on earth why is he not getting the credit for that (laughs) these these people are just not giving him his due (laughs) 
Uh, well, the movie comes out on October 4th. Yes. Uh, and so when you plan to watch it and do you have any predictions about the movie, about what origin stories they'll use, content, anything? Ooh, who's go- am I going first? <laughs> <laughs> you, you should go first because you I always see first. movies before I, am going I do. To the, yeah, <laughs> I am going to the theater first. Um, uh, as soon as I possibly can uh, is, is when I'm going. I'm not an opening night guy anymore. I, I don't have that youthful vigor to be down there and go opening night, but I will try to get there opening weekend. I'm always I'm always giving Ken a hard time because Ken is – Ken and I – the one way that Ken and I are very different, I think there's a lot of ways we're, we're very similar in our interests, but one way we're very different is Ken does not feel this compulsion to be there on opening weekend the way I do. If I often I, will wait for it to come out in the – like the dollar theater later, yeah. but but that <laughs> drives me nuts. That, you have to engage in a great deal of internet avoidance so that it doesn't get spoiled. My dad is the same way. My little brother's still screaming at him to watch Endgame. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll send I'll send Ken messages and it'll be like, well, so there's this. Have you seen it? Question mark. Yeah. Knowing that he hasn't, <laughs> and just you know, just waiting. But then he'll he'll surprise me every now and then, and it'll be like, oh, I you know, like I went the second week. If he goes the second week, it must really be something. And now probably that's that's probably <laughs> yeah. my plan for the Joker is probably about the second week. I'll try to catch a matinee on a day that I'm off and see yeah. it. <laughs> the hard the hard part with this will be uh, uh, leaving my boy behind. He's too young to see it. Yeah. So really? yeah, I, no. I from what I've read, it's R-rated. And from what I've read, it's one of the few superhero yeah. movies that are R-rated. So, as Mike said, you know, I've, 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 one of the things I shared with my daughter when she was young was going to see superhero films with her. This will be the instance of one you don't want to do. It's going to be R-rated, and from everything I can see, it's it's based as much on things like Taxi Driver. And King of Comedy. I know that um, Scorsese is the, one of the producers of the movie. Yeah, he was initially. I, th- I don't know if he stayed all the way, but I know oh, he was he? initially involved. Well, yeah. I think that Phillips said that he wanted to kind of pay homage to these kind of gritty 70s films about people that are in kind of anomic, uh, confusing urban s- scenarios where they don't feel appreciated and loved, and it kind of you know pushes them over the edge. So, I mean, I, I think it'll be a lot like that. And I wonder how much it will play to traditional comics. What do you think? Oh, uh, well, I th- I think it will have a very different flavor based on just what little I've read. I've, I try to be very careful about spoilers, but I've, I've read a couple of reviews that were fairly spoil-free. And what I'm hearing is, is what you're saying, that it does have that very 70s sort of taxi driver feel to it. Um, I think um, that, that it's probably going to be brutal. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why I can't take the boy. Um, I think there's there's things, uh, you know, like I've I've gotten him to watch other R-rated movies in the past that weren't particularly brutal, like that. And I anticipate uh, some some grim brutality. Um, I showed mm-hmm. him <laughs> I showed him a fistful of dollars this summer, mm-hmm. and he looked at me and he said, I, "I don't like this guy. Are you sure this is the hero? I don't like <laughs> yeah. this guy. He's kind of mean." Yeah, he probably wouldn't like Joker then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he I mean he loves the Joker, but I don't think he wants to see that Joker or he's ready to see that Joker yet. So so there'll be this little tricky negotiation as I try to figure out like how to get there and 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 what to do. But no, be there be there as fast as I possibly can. Um, <laughs> cuz cuz people I, I mean the the downside of doing this for a living is people run right up to you yes and they're like you know dr mike what did you think about this movie? you must where have seen so this. and so died yes. and it's like well i haven't seen this movie so i don't know yeah mm-hmm. so it, it uh you know I, I live in absolute fear that somebody will spoil something for me or that i just can't talk to them about it i hate to be somewhere and to have somebody walk up to me and and they're so excited to talk about this thing and mm-hmm. it's my thing you know and 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 it's my area and i can't 
engage right. them because I haven't done my homework. You know, I haven't done my due diligence and gone to see the movie. Well, I actually think that it might actually have more of a comedic effect on the film just because Phillips did direct all, all three Hangover movies. Oh, yeah, the Hangover. Right. Oh, yeah. Right. It's so, a hidden comedy. Is that what you're, yeah, that what you're like, thinking, Anna? We might not know. Like, no, I'm not saying it's going to be as uh, comedic as Deadpool, per se. But the, surely because the Joker is, he does take on a clown persona, that maybe it'll play a little bit more to that first. And then sort of uh, like his psychoactiveness will be like in the background, so to speak. Yeah. Like hit, you, we will see the, the destructive actions that does make him the Joker. But I feel like it'll play more to his twisted sense of humor. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I hope so. Yeah, I hope you're absolutely right. I, because because I, if it doesn't, then what separates him from Taxi Driver? What what would he be but just another one of those characters? Taxi Driver, but in clown makeup. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, to be honest, that's what the, 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 the trailers that I've seen, and they look very interesting to me, um, but they look a lot like Taxi Driver with clown makeup. Right, you know? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we've, we've had a couple of these already. So you mentioned Deadpool. Logan? Was another one R rated. That's yeah. right. We have had a handful, and they have been commercially true. successful. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've they've largely been the kinds of films that really reexamine the genre. That's that's what's really a lot of fun about those. You know, mm-hmm. Deadpool um, plays the superhero genre. It, Deadpool is a superhero movie from the beginning to the end. So is Deadpool too. But it riffs on that the whole time. It plays with it the whole time. Sure. Um, Logan is really... A like kind subverts of, the classic Western. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's it's the unforgiven of superhero movies. Mm-hmm. It's, oh, here's your tired Very good. superhero instead of your tired Western hero and run from there. So, you know, I, I hope they, they do something really interesting. But I'm, I'm not... I got to see it before the boy sees it. It's just, it's got to go that way. I think it'll be very performance-driven from what I've seen in the trailers and in the reviews. Yeah. In other words, it'll be a largely... A good deal of focus on uh, the main the actor uh, Phoenix's transformation into this character. Yeah. So I think that's one thing to expect. They say he's amazing. I read something the other day that uh, said oh, yeah. there's, there's not a special there's not a special effect in the thing, and that a lot of what you are mesmerized by is his performance. A lot of people felt that Heath Ledger and the Dark Knight in general got snubbed. A lot of people from the comics community, I think, in the superhero genre community, thought that um, there was a real snub of Heath Ledger for his performance. And yeah. I think they're thinking that that can't and shouldn't happen this time if Phoenix does a really good job with right. this material. <laughs> all right. So. Uh, well, um, to end it all off, I'd like to ask both of you what's your favorite version of the Joker and why? Oh, you making me go first? <laughs> <laughs> Ken just looks at you. Can't see that on audio. Yeah, Ken just looks at me like, "Oh, you're going radio. <laughs> you're going. Yeah, you're going, Mike. You jump in." Oh my gosh, um, I love everything about Batman the animated series. I mm-hmm. have often said that you will, which, which is uh, is uh, kind of depressing, but I've often said you will never get a better Batman than that. Maybe someday we will, but for for pure synthesis of everything great about Batman, that. TV show that what's supposed to be a kid's cartoon but turns out to be an amazing show for an adult um, is is where I often will go for the best of Batman um, and I think that the way they animate the Joker in there and the way that Mark Hamill does that voice um, is amazing and within the constraints of kids TV at the time you get a character who can be whimsical can, but can also be ruthlessly dangerous so that's always been uh you know outside of comics that's always been my absolute favorite joker i can definitely tell you the worst one and that's the 
after the animated series, what was the, uh, the oh the Batman? The Batman oh. was an animated oh, God. show. The one that didn't and, wear and shoes. They yeah. redid him as if he was some cross between the Hulk and Solomon Grundy, where Joker was kind of like this, uh, you know, muscular, thuggish, you know, Ew. shoeless. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know. Um, but I, I think, to me, hands down, the best one is Heath Ledger in The Dark Knight. I think I he, have to agree. Yeah, he just <laughs> captures the whole idea of Joker as a psychopath. Uh, you don't know what he's going to do next, um, and yet is is deadly and dangerous, and yet at the same time you can't take your eyes off of him. So yeah. you know you don't you want to see what he's going to do next. Almost all of them. See, I didn't watch the Batman, but almost every version of the Batman, of the Joker in anything is a lot of fun. Even even Cesar Romero is kind of fun sometimes mm-hmm. in the old show. So the right the right actor really does some amazing stuff with the character. That's true. Yeah. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Uh, Mike, Ken, thank you for joining the discussion. Uh, and to all our listeners, we're glad you came. Uh, is there a Lynchburg professor or alum you'd like to hear on our podcast this season or a topic you'd like us to tackle? Email ucm at lynchburg.edu to let us know. Until next time. Tune in next time, where we talk about Cheeto, the first cat to land on the moon. Just kidding. That's actually fake news, the real topic we're covering next time. We will be joined by a philosophy and journalism professor to talk about media literacy and how reporters and readers can know that the news is true.